Welcome to Kolisha, the podcast that gives Orthodox women a voice. Welcome back to Kolisha. This week, I am really honored to have with me Yocheved Davidowitz, who's joining me from Cleveland, Ohio. Yocheved is a native New Yorker. She's a former teacher who went back to school for her master's a little later in her life, and she's now a therapist in private practice. She has lived in many different Jewish communities, including Rochester, New York, Queens, New York, Vancouver, British Columbia, Brooklyn, New York, and now she lives in Cleveland with her family. She is a wife and a mom. She's also a writer and a speaker, and she's the host of her own podcast called A Deeper Conversation. So some of you might remember that a few weeks ago, I posted a question asking any of my followers or listeners to recommend um, any shirim or resources relating to tefillah. And one of my listeners sent me Yocheved's podcast called The Deeper Conversation, where she primarily focuses on tefillah and connecting to tefillah, especially as women. And um, she also has some very fascinating guests on and some really interesting conversations. And I have been absolutely loving this podcast. She's full of wisdom. And I decided to reach out to Yocheved and ask her to join me on the podcast here to talk about the month of Elul as it relates to women, because as we know, Elul is also very much um, involved with tefillah, with tshuva, with trying to connect to Hashem in a deeper way than we often do throughout the year. And as women, a lot of us struggle to do this because our roles are a little different than men um, based on the various stages in life that we go through. And not everyone is always in the same stage as everyone else. And so I wanted to talk this through with Yochaved and um, sort of dig a little deeper into this topic. So welcome to Kalisha Yochaved. I'm so honored that you joined me. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So Yochaved, I recently talked on a previous episode with another from therapist. Her name is Esti Marcus about sort of deepening our relationship to Hashem through the tshuva process. And it was very fascinating. We talked about how the four steps of tshuva can be used not only in our relationship with Hashem, but also in our relationships in our lives with various different people. So I wanted to maybe build a little bit off of that um, and talk about how as women, we can relate to Hashem, whether we are single women, whether we are married, if we have children um, and if we're married with children, all of those dynamics sort of play into how we can relate to this month of Elul and sort of deepening our connection and our relationship to Hashem. So I know that you focus a lot on tefillah and I wanted to ask your opinion based on, you know, what you've spoken about in the past and just share a little bit of what you would recommend or advise for women throughout the lifespan. Wow. Okay. So that's a really tall order throughout the lifespan. It's a loaded question. Yes. And we can break it down a little bit. We don't have to go yeah. through it all at once. It, it is a little intimidating to think about davening throughout the lifespan, just because I think the first thing that I would say to anybody listening to this, anybody who wants to be a better davener, I guess, is the first and most important thing that people need to realize is that davening is hard. 
really having and maintaining a connection with Hashem is not something that comes easily in the same way that I would say that anything that's really worthwhile and worthwhile having any relationship that you have in your life. I will sometimes ask an audience, like, what's the most rewarding relationship that you have? And people will usually think of, you know, either their kids or maybe their marriage, or maybe it's even a work relationship or a friendship. And you know, 100% of the time, it is the relationship that you work the hardest for or that you invest the most in. So having a relationship with Hashem, which is really what davening is about, is is hard and it's difficult. And not only is it difficult, but it, it, it takes a certain amount of practice and training. There's various places in Tanakh where davening is referred to as like an omnus, as a craft. It's a trade. So you have to learn how to do it and you have to practice your skill and you have to become expert at it. And at every step along the way, you need to recognize the fact that there's going to be a struggle inherent in that practice. So for example, like let's say somebody's struggling with just davening. So some women, if they're at a stage in life where time is difficult, maybe they have little kids. So finding a few minutes is, is very challenging for a woman in that stage of, of life, right? So for her, the challenge is just to find a few minutes. For another woman, maybe she has the time, but she's very busy with her career. So the concentration is really the issue that she needs to focus on and needs to work on. But whatever it is, you know, kind of like when, if you're working out, so if you were to, let's say, decide that you wanna run. So you start running and the first time you can't really run around the block. And then you, you know, you keep at it, you keep going and eventually you're running 5K. So if you're really dedicated to being a runner, you would always be putting yourself in a state where you're kind of struggling a little bit, right? If, if you're ever just coasting and sometimes that happens. Like sometimes you'll have a day where you're like, you know what? I can't really push myself today. I'm just going to kind of keep my pace. That's fine occasionally. But if you're really dedicated to being a runner, you're always going to sort of put yourself in a position of challenge. So davening is like that also. So at first, maybe the challenge is just finding the time. Then it's maybe concentrating on the words, or maybe it's davening a little bit longer, spending a little bit more time, adding another tefillah. Maybe I was davening brachos. Now I say more of shacharis. Maybe I'll add mincha in. Maybe I'll concentrate on benching. I mean, we think of davening just as like getting up in the morning and davening shacharis, but the truth is like, do we concentrate on making brachos? You know, I would say for somebody who maybe is in a specific situation in life where davening is not as easy, that's another thing to think about with regards to connecting to Hashem. But Everybody needs to recognize right off the bat that davening is something that inherently has a certain amount of struggle in it and is hard, but the rewards are worth it. Like I said, any relationship that you have that's going to be rewarding is going to require a certain amount of input on our part. Absolutely. So I wanted to pick on two things that you said. The first, the first one was that it's work that you have to put into it. And that reminds me that we learned that tefillah is a bodash, I believe, right? We actually use the word work because you have to work for it. So um, definitely, you know, that resonates. And the other thing you said about working on your relationship with Hashem through tefillah also sort of brings me back to the prior episode that I mentioned. And I like how this goes together very much because we talked a lot about our relationship with Hashem. And I remember when I was younger, and I don't know if this was your experience too, but we were sort of taught, I guess, mostly in school, but the message at home also, and I think sort of overall, this was like not a unique experience to me. The message was that our relationship with Hashem was more out of like fear and trepidation Mm -hmm. rather than 
a loving father. And I feel like this has just been my observation, but I feel like lately that narrative has sort of changed a little. And now in yeshivas and schools, our kids are being taught more like all of this Hashem loves you and thank you Hashem all the time. And we're like, it's almost like our relationship to Hashem now and the way we're teaching our kids is a much closer relationship, right? And not and less of a fearful relationship. I don't know if you share that experience, but I think that maybe tefillah is more desirable when you think of Hashem as a loving father that you want to connect to rather than someone that you're like standing in front of in fear and trepidation. Yeah, I have so much to say about what you just mentioned. There's so much there because really you're talking about a lot of things. First of all, just our education system and how we've been trained to dominate as little kids and where that leaves us now as adults. I mean, I will speak to clients in therapy about davening because I think that tefillah, even, even with clients who are not necessarily Jewish, and most of my clients at this point are, are from women, but I certainly over the years have, have worked with non-Jewish populations. And if somebody has a faith background, I'll talk to them about prayer because having a connection with God in a meaningful way is the best antidote to anxiety, really, that there is. It's really the only antidote to anxiety. There's a lot of things, if I'm, as a therapist, if somebody comes into my office and we're talking, we could talk about managing symptoms of anxiety, but to really like eliminate anxiety, you really need to have some kind of a faith-based system. And I've seen women, like I said, who are not even Jewish, who've had such incredible turnarounds with anxiety because they've sort of embraced their faith. They've whatever it is, gone to church or, you know, started praying. So I think um, like just off the bat to recognize the importance of uh, like tefillah in our mental health and tefillah as something that we need to do is super important. But like you said, going back to the problem of our education system and how we were raised to daven, that sort of fear and trepidation piece, like I take this back to where we learned to daven from. Like, did we learn to daven from our school or did we learn to daven from our parents? And the thing is, is that the way that our society works nowadays, and it, it really, unfortunately, it's just an economic reality that we send our kids to school and we just outsource a lot of what we should be teaching our children to the school system. And it, it is what it is, but a school at the end of the day, their priority and their sometimes what they have to just do to ensure that people get through the day is they have to ensure a certain kind of behavior and a certain kind of uniformity. And they need to get everybody to kind of agree to a certain standard of behavior. And so you wind up having this fallback of like, not negativity so much, but like this sort of punitive relationship where it's about reward and punishment. Like, like you, I mean, I went to Beit Yaakov school as a little kid and every year, Rosh Hashanah time that Mora wrote on the Drew like a little scale on the board with like the mitzvahs on one side and the virus on one side. And you really think like, if you're not going to be a good girl, then really bad things are going to happen to you. And unfortunately, so many of us are really still stuck in that place when it comes to connecting certainly to this time of year, but connecting to the chuba process, to connecting to davening. And we don't take ownership ourselves of that experience. So I will have a client come in and I'll say like, I really think, you know, we're talking about davening and I'll hear this, that they're upset about whatever happened as a child because of their school. And they have a very negative association with tefillah because of things that they heard. And I always will say, you know, you're a grown up now, so you can have a relationship with Hashem on your own terms. And you shouldn't allow some sort of negative messaging that you got as a child 
to take away what can be the most rewarding part of your day, which is really davening. I mean, really what davening is, is a conversation and it's a connection more than anything else. So I think that all of us really need to recognize maybe some of the things that happened in the past or some messages that we've got that we need to unlearn, but ultimately taking responsibility for our relationship with Hashem and our process through tefillah is I think part of growing up, part of being a grown up. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really um, ascribe to and love the idea of changing the messages that we learned as children as we grow older, not necessarily that we have to like completely change them, but to update them and mature them as we mature, right? Because that very rudimentary image of the scale, I, I totally re- relate to this. Um, <laughs> that is something that is very basic concept that a first grader can easily understand, right? But as we get older, are we updating that? And are we sort of maturing the message that we got to go along with our own maturity, right? Like to now be able to understand that on a much deeper level. Like just as an example, I work with a lot of non-Jewish or non-religious people and they'll sometimes ask me a question about Judaism, right? And they don't have that same background that I have of 30 plus years of depth. So sometimes I'll give them a similar answer to something I might've learned as a child because they don't necessarily have the capacity at this point to understand the whole deep lesson with Midrashim and Mepharshim and all of that, because that takes time to build. But definitely I agree that like we have to update that. But I guess my question based on what you were just saying is, yes, we have to update these ideas and they have to become a little deeper as we get older. But say someone did have, um, let's say someone did learn that the relationship with Hashem is of fear, reward, and punishment. If you put a toe out of line, there's always a punishment and, you know, everything is measure for measure and you don't get away with anything. And there were sort of these like harsh lessons taught. How do you like practically go and unlearn that? Right. Well, how would you go and unlearn anything that you learned as a child that was maybe damaging to your spiritual health, right? It's not just as much, it's not as easy of a concept as just telling somebody, no, really there's a different approach. But I think what you said previously is really the best image that a person can think of with regards to Hashem is that of a parent. So parents love their children no matter what, even when their kids are not behaving. And a parent, no matter how distant they are from their child and how much fighting has gone on in the past will always have an open place for their child. So keeping that image in mind, and by the way, like there, there is a place for reward and punishment within the context of a broader relationship. I think the problem isn't that we learned that the problem is that's all that we learned and we didn't really learn the other stuff also. Right. So just like with your own children, sometimes they just need to do what they're supposed to do right? Or, you know, they need to behave themselves because you're out in public or whatever it is. And sometimes, you know, your kids just have to do the thing that they're supposed to do. So, you know, we want to make sure that we don't swing the pendulum the other way where it's just about how we feel and it's just all about love. And it's not necessarily, there is a structure in place of reward and punishment. And one of the problems with focusing on that also is that it's not something that we could see in this world, right? We see good people suffer and, and wicked people prosper. So the idea that I'm going to do something good, I'm going to have a great davening on Yom Kippur, 
doesn't necessarily translate that I'm going to see riches in the year, even though obviously that's part of the davening. So something is going on that I'm not necessarily totally aware of with regards to ultimate justice in the world or something I should say that I can't necessarily see with my naked eye. Do you know what I mean? Yes. The, the message that I'm getting underlying is uh, basically about balance, right? Like we have to teach our kids and ourselves really, because that's our job now, like you're saying, to, to teach ourselves these concepts and take responsibility now for um, learning these ideas that maybe we missed out on as kids. It's really about balance, right? We know these concepts of reward and punishment. Maybe that was the focus or that was stressed more. But now as adults, and now if we want to give our message, that message to our children, we also have to balance that out with the loving father relationship. But, you know, and as a parent, I can speak to that as well. Like there's the discipline aspect where you have to teach your children to behave and there's natural consequences to bad behavior but also there is plenty of room for love and plenty of room for affection. And, you know, it all balances out if it's done in a good and healthy way. Right. I mean, definitely also like sometimes you see people acting out things that in adulthood, that may be a result of some kind of negative parenting that they had or whatever it is. And with Davening, certainly you see that if somebody had a negative experience in Shoal, so they don't want to go to Shoal as an adult and they have negative associations with it. But with all things, like we would always encourage somebody to take responsibility for themselves, let's say psychologically, emotionally, financially, even as an adult, and stop at a certain point, stop blaming their parents just simply because, you know, the parents aren't the ones suffering. It's the person that's suffering. If they don't you know, figure out how to take responsibility for themselves. Okay, so let's say somebody's in a marriage and the marriage is difficult because they didn't learn good communication skills from their parents. Their parents had a bad marriage. So either you can go through life suffering in a bad marriage, or you can say, listen, I didn't get these skills as a, as a kid. My parents were fighting all the time. So I really need to either go to therapy or read a book, whatever it is, learn how to be a good spouse, learn how to communicate properly, because Otherwise, my marriage is going to go the same way my parents went. And so dominating is like that also, you know what I mean? Like at a certain point, if this is something that we want to be able to do, we need to take responsibility for it, recognize like kind of the good and the bad that we got from school, from camp, from our parents, from whatever it is, and, and just do what we need to do so that that, you know, that becomes something that we have or that we can do better. Absolutely. It's a tall order because as we get older, we also like our responsibilities change, right? Like I remember being in high school and we of course had an allotted time in the morning for davening. And one of the teachers who would be like the tefillah monitor sort of like she was the one right. who would be there at davening time. I remember her telling us multiple times, like take advantage now because in a few years from now, you're going to be wishing you had an hour to just dive in. And you could tell she was saying that from her perspective because she was a mom of young kids and all of that. But it's true that as your life matures, like you do have more responsibilities, whether it's career, whether it's children, marriage, all of the above sometimes. And then it becomes very hard to invest the time in changing things or working on things, even though it is a responsibility. So I totally agree with what you're saying. And I'm also adding that it's not easy. <laughs> no, it's really not easy. And like you said, at different stages of life, we have different obligations and different responsibilities. And I would encourage somebody to ask, you know, ask a Rav or ask somebody like, 
what is my obligation? Like, okay, obviously we know some, some people have little kids and so then their priorities, their kids, but you also have, you know, like I have a friend right now who's taking care of her parent and one of her parents just had a stroke. She's very busy with her parent. We have obligations as women and we don't have the same um, that men have with regards to davening and minion and davening at a certain time of day. So I think for women also, I think the halacha is a little unclear and I'm certainly not paskening for anybody, but I think a lot of women don't even know like what their obligation is or even to speak to Rav to say like, you know, what should I be doing given the fact that this is my situation? What should I be davening? davening? Are there certain tefillos that I should be prioritizing, you know, in and amongst the other tefillos, like given the fact that I only have a set of time. And I think when people do that, like if they make that a priority, they'll find that they probably have a little bit more time than they think that they do. You know what I mean? Because we do find time for things that are priorities. Like that's the bottom line. Like even when we're busy, if it's a priority, we find time for it. And I think for some of us, you know, we dread davening just because we don't appreciate it. And like I said, some of us are just not good at it. And honestly, like I'm really speaking for myself. Like I always struggled with davening as a kid. I don't know about you, but I remember like as a teenager in high school, looking around at some of the other girls who seemed to be like davening with so much kavana. And I was like, like, what? (laughs) Like, I wish I could have that much kavana, but I'm easily distracted. Davening is, is, I always tell people, like, if you think about your day, there's very few times in the day, like maybe when you're in the shower and when you're davening, where you're just not moving and there's no, there's no technology, there's nothing else. So of course, like all the thoughts pop into your head when you're davening, like that's just what it is. Right. But it's hard, you know, it's hard to daven. Yeah, I definitely relate to that. And it's also when you have other responsibilities, it's almost like the time that you're davening can feel like it's taking you away from your other responsibility. Like if it's Friday and you have to cook for Shabbos, you're like, okay, now if I spend 20 minutes davening, then that's 20 less minutes I have to get ready for Shabbos, right? So to your point of prioritizing davening, I think it's also like a way of reframing it to ourselves. Like, no, this is my priority right now. It's not taking me away from other things because I have to be doing this right now, you know, which is also not so easy, but yeah. And I agree with you with the whole Kavana thing and, you know, that whole aspect. It's not so easy. I, it's not something that ever came easy to me. It's definitely a work and you, you don't see who you're talking to, right? It's like you and I are having a conversation right now, face to face, obviously you're there. There's a give and take. It's a one-way conversation. It's words that you say, every day. And some of us say it twice and maybe three times. And so like, it becomes very routine and it's very hard to find like the inspiration every day to make it fresh and new and relevant. So all of those things have played into the difficulty for me personally. Well, I think that that's a common, I don't know, complaint, a common problem with the way that we dive in, which is that we say the same exact words every single day. So it can become very rote. It can become like a formula. You know, you obviously, if you certainly, if you grow up in a Jewish school, you know the words by heart. It's almost like sometimes when you see somebody who's a Balchuva and they're struggling with the words, you feel almost jealous because they're concentrating and it's new and it's exciting. And you can, you know, you say, you say it by heart sometimes with a lot of mistakes that you learned in third grade and you didn't realize because you never actually read the word to see like what the word was. So, that I think that that is a, a common struggle that people have with finding the meaning in something that you say every day and it's the same exact thing. So I will say that this is like a little bit of a, more of a philosophical concept, but obviously our ability to talk is how we express the Tzalem Elohim 
right? Hashem blew in Adam, Nishmas Chaya, like the breath of life. And that, as Unclos describes, is the power of speech. So with our words, with our talking, we are able to express that image of Hashem that we're created in, right? So speech is an incredibly lofty thing. And we think sometimes of speech as, well, I have a thought about what I'm going to tell you. And then I say it and I express my thoughts, but it works the other way around also. So you know this because you have a podcast or you talk, right? That sometimes when you have a conversation with somebody and you talk it out, you actually have new thoughts and new ideas because of the power of speech. So it works both ways, right? Speech goes inside out and outside in. In fact, um, you know, there's all sorts of studies about vocabulary. People who have higher vocabulary are actually able to access higher level thinking because the word gives them access to that idea. Oh, right? that's so fascinating. Right. So it is. So like you get like a word of the day calendar, right? And you learn a new word and you have access to a new thought. So if you think about what tefillah is, the tefillah that we say, a lot of it's Tehillim. So it was written by David HaMelech. Um, Shona Seir was written by Anshay Knesset Sagdola. So by saying those words, you have access to the ideas and the thoughts that they had when they wrote it to a much higher level of understanding of Hashem than we could have if we just would make up our thoughts. And there is a place in davening where we make up our own tefillah. I think that that's a very important thing that people should engage in doing. And I also say like a lot of times people should daven and not necessarily daven, but say certain things in English if they're English speakers, like instead of saying Baruch Hashem, which you would say without thinking sometimes, right? Cause it's just a social convention almost say, thank you Hashem. You know, if you've got a parking spot and you live in Brooklyn, right? <laughs> so sometimes like just even like saying that out loud, saying in English, making your own tefillah, like these are very important things, but connecting to the words that David HaMelech wrote, that the Anshay Knesset wrote, like different poems that come from Tzadikim, this actually gives us access to a level of nevuah that we personally obviously don't have. And so, you know, there's different tricks that you can do to sort of make it fresh for yourself. One of the things that I personally do every year on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur time, I pick one tefillah that's like gonna be my project for the year that I try to remind myself. I like to put a little post-it post -it in my sitter, let's say. Um, this year was, this past year was Yehi Chavod in, in Shacharis, which, you know, like really, it's I say it by rote, honestly. But like I took a little time to try to at least say that one tefillah, it struck me over Rosh Hashanah, how powerful it is. And that was like kind of my project for the year. I had a little bit more Kavana. Did I have Kavana every day that I said it? No, but it was on my radar and I made it a little bit of my project. So next year, this or this coming year, I should say, I'll pick another tefillah. And so again, we, we sort of take responsibility for our davening in that way to recognize sort of what are the limitations or what are the natural pitfalls in our davening? Like you said, you know, finding meaning in something that I say every single day, very often by heart. Um, and then, doing something about it. I would say also, I'm sorry, I'm talking for a very long time. I have so much to say about the subject. No, but, I love what you're saying. Keep going. But I would say also that, you know, to think that we're going to have like this incredible davening every single time is unrealistic and isn't always necessarily the point. I just heard this wonderful quote. I was listening to a share by Rabbi Breidowitz and he quoted Rabbi Menzel Weinbach who said, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly, which I love. You know what I mean? You, Part of davening is, is the habit of davening. And that's so important to have that daily habit. I always ask people, I'll ask you this question. Do you have like a friend, a really good friend that you could think of from, let's say from camp? Yeah. 
Yeah, in your mind. Okay. So are you still close with that friend? Not particularly. How do you know that you're close or not close to that friend? We don't talk very often. Exactly. So everybody says that. Like you can, if you think about whoever it is that you're close to, it's based on how much you communicate with that person. So somebody that you're close to, you talk to every day. You know, you might have a friend that you speak to once a year. And when you talk, it's just like, you know, you'll say like, it's just like no time has passed. But the truth is you're not part of each other's daily lives. So with davening, you're talking to Hashem every day. Hashem is part of your daily life. And sometimes when you talk to that person that you're really close to, it's like, hi, okay, got to run, hang up. And sometimes when you have the time, it's a deep and meaningful conversation. But having that conversation every single day, even if it's not like this incredible, like profound experience is inherently valuable. Right. And it makes a lot of sense. And I I really love that idea because it goes along really well with what we said previously, which is that you can balance your relationship with Hashem as a loving father that like, you know, you want this close connection, but on the days where you don't have the greatest conversation, he's still your loving father. It's not like this was a disaster. And now you have to curate yourself like because you didn't dive in well. And he's your loving father. And it's okay, because you'll catch up next time, you know? Yeah. And also he's your loving father who knows every single interview, like the the person that you love the most in this world loves knows you maybe 90%. If you're lucky enough to have a relationship with somebody, maybe usually a spouse would be somebody who would know you the most. But even to a spouse, there's a certain part of yourself that's still private. But Hashem knows every single part of you, the hidden parts, the parts that we're either ashamed of, that we are embarrassed about, like the little thing, the things that we did as a child that, you know, we kind of like you know, kind of shudder when we think about them. Hashem knows all the parts of us and still loves us completely and wants nothing more than to have us come closer to him. So, you know, like sometimes clients will say to me in session, like, I don't know if I could trust this person. They're talking about a spouse or or a friend or whoever it is that we're talking about. And I'll say, well, you you can't. There's no person on this earth that you can trust 100%. Nobody, you know, certainly not, to let's say ever hurt your feelings or ever not have your 100% best interests at heart. The only person, not person, obviously God is not a person, but the only one that you can trust 100% is Hashem. That's it. So, you know, with that framework and understanding that, why wouldn't you want to develop that connection? And the way that you develop the connection is through tefillah. Like that's just the mechanism by which we come closer to Hashem. You might see a beautiful seen in nature and feel connection to Hashem. But at that moment, it would be appropriate to say to Hillel, do you know what I mean? Or you might have an experience that just brought you closer to Hashem, but you express that through words, through saying thank you to Hashem, through some kind of davening. So the way that we have that connection is really through tefillah, ultimately. Yeah, you know, I just experienced this and I want to give this example because this was such an incredible moment that I can't, I still can't get it out of my head. Just last week, I think it was last week when this young boy from Brooklyn went missing and everyone came out to um, look for him and whoever wasn't able to look for him was on at least one or two WhatsApp chats saying to heal him. And it was just this incredible moment of unity. And until he was found, like my emotions were running so high because I was just terrified of what the outcome was going to be because unfortunately we know we've had so many like sorrows lately and I was like I'm just not another one not another one and 
I was part of this Tehillim group where basically you just keep saying the next chapter one after another. And then finally we got these messages started coming through. They were verified. He was found and everyone was just like through the roof with relief and joy and just so incredibly happy. And immediately a few of the people in the group said, let's finish the Tehillim to thank Hashem. Like we were midway through Tehillim. So don't just drop it. Finished Tehillim to thank Hashem, and several people separately posted Ms. Marla Soda, and they said, "Say Ms. Marla Soda right now because it's a it's a parak of thanking Hashem," mm-hmm. and it was so powerful, like the emotional high of this kid being found okay, and just like the achdos of like everyone that came together, and then just sort of like encapsulating all of that in its fila was just really, really incredible. And I never experienced something quite to that level because there was also just so many outside factors playing into it. And I think it was such a beautiful message that I intend to use in the future. Like something really good happens, like use it as an opportunity to thank Hashem with tefillah. I thought that was like an incredible idea. Right, good and bad. You had the first, the kid was missing and then you have the positive outcome, which like you said, unfortunately this year, there have been certain things that have not had a positive outcome or that we, pers- that we see as a positive outcome. Right. So, right. But so many times we only dive in when it's something that we perceive as negative or like there's a disaster or someone is sick or there's something that we are davening to try to change the outcome for what we at least view as the better, yes. right. We want this person to get well. And that's why we're davening. But for me, at least, it's very possible that other people have been doing this a very long time. But for me, at least, I'm not in the habit of davening or picking up a Tehillim when things turn out well. Like very often I'll say Baruch Hashem or just like, thank you Hashem or whatever, but not like actually tefillah. Um, so I, to me, that was sort of a newish idea that I really loved. That's a really, it is a really powerful thing. I think kind of like, you know, the constant metaphor that we go back to as Hashem is our father, kids tend to go to their parents when they need money. You know what I mean? Or we go to our parents when we need something. And, and that's sometimes how we view tefillah, like we need something, so we daven for it. And I don't think that that's a bad thing because I do think that when you daven to Hashem, even if it's for something like seemingly trivial, you know, I once had a student ask me if she could daven for her favorite sports team to win the, whatever it was when we lived in Canada. So hockey was a very big deal in Canada. So our team was in the Stanley Cup. And one of my students asked me if she can daven for the Canucks to win. So, um, you know, some people might disagree with me, but I think that, first of all, when you, when you live in a small town, you recognize that the sports team winning affects so many businesses and so many people's livelihoods. It's not like a little thing, but um, when we dive in for little things like a parking spot, um, whatever's happening in our day, ultimately what we're saying is we recognize that those things come from Hashem. So that's really what we're saying when we dive in for whatever it is, Hashem, please like let this podcast podcast come out good, right? So you're recognizing the fact that the success or failure of the podcast is in Hashem's hands. So I I think that that's really important to be able to like go to Hashem when we need something. So we do that. But like what you said also is, is um, when things are good and when everything is great, right? That is also, or even more so, I should say, a time when we should reach out to say, thank you, recognizing the good fortune. I actually just, I posted a podcast today about this, because like you said, there's been so many tragedies in the last year, you know, all encapsulated in this framework of COVID that we're living in. 
and so many things have happened. And, you know, something like this, this boy who was lost happened. So we really feel connected to each other. And it's unfortunate sometimes that it takes a tragedy to make us feel connected. Like we should feel connected to each other's simchas. Somebody gets married, has a baby, gets a job, has a promotion, has a wonderful thing happen to us. We should feel like that's our simcha as well. And I think, I don't know if I could say, like, I don't have the security clearance to say this 100%, but I would say that, you know, maybe we wouldn't need these other things to draw us together if we could connect to each other through simcha and through really being happy for each other's good fortune. It's almost harder to do that than it is than to feel connected with negativity. Because when somebody has good fortune, we have to overcome like sort of natural jealousy and natural competition, which we all feel and is totally normal. But if we could overcome that and genuinely feel that somebody else's simcha is our simcha, that would be just an incredible thing. And we maybe wouldn't need other reminders that we're really all connected. So yeah, for sure, for sure. I I totally agree with, it being harder to connect with Simcha and just like to take it even further, like you think about a Simcha that someone might have after a tragedy, right? Like let's say someone was sick and then they got better and then they got married. It's like you have a much easier time feeling happy for that person because they went through something difficult. But if that person didn't go through something difficult and they got married, okay, you're happy for them. But you're right because it's harder to, to overcome our own feelings about what that other person has. I mean, I, I agree with that. Um, so basically, you know, through the month of Elul, obviously tefillah is a huge component um, in how we connect to Hashem, but we have these other processes too, right? The tshuva aspect and then coming to Yom Kippur, it's asking for forgiveness. It's also giving our mechila to other people. So connecting like Ben Adom Lechaviro as well. Um, and I find it hard to connect to the month of Elul because, you know, the men have their shul, they are going to Shiorim, they're learning, they hear the shofar every month of Elul. For me, the first time I hear the shofar is Rosh Hashanah and Shul. So the whole Elul vibe sort of is a little lost on me, at least in this stage in my life. I'm not in school anymore. Like I have to really seek it out to feel connected, right? So what would you recommend or what advice would you give for women who also struggle to connect to Elul and connect to their relationship to Hashem in the month of Elul, which is supposed to be like so much deeper and, you know, so much more involved right now? Um, I totally relate. I, I feel the same thing also that men go to Shul and they hear the chauffeur and they're reminded that it's Elul. I keep forgetting to say, um, David, because I keep forgetting that it's Elul, even though like <laughs> I am really trying to actively work on different things, but it is definitely harder for women. I think the answer is in your question, really, because you said, I have to seek it out. So that energy that you're going to seek it out is going to be your answer and how you make it meaningful and to whatever energy and effort that you're able to expend in trying to really connect to Elul, either recognizing with Elul um, is going to provide its rewards. I usually recommend a few things. So first of all, whatever anybody does in personal growth in any area, um, I do a lot of work with women on emotional eating, um, weight loss, that kind of stuff, 
you know, a lot of times people who come with anxiety are also emotional eaters. So we do a lot of like a lot of stuff around habits. And the thing about habits is that, um, or I should say the thing about motivation is that motivation doesn't last. So if you're going to go into Shal on Rosh Hashanah and feel like incredibly motivated, that feeling by its very nature is temporary and it's going to go away. So you need to do something that's going to create a lasting change. And so I usually would recommend that people decide to take on something and that thing be extremely small. So small that you almost can't not do it. So we wanna you know, recognize the sort of godless Adam, the greatness that we could possibly achieve in our lives. But the way that we do that is by doing something small. So I usually will say, okay, this is just my thought. You know, Nobody has to do this, but do one thing, one thing that is something that you wanna do during the month of El that you want to pay attention to. And that whatever that thing is, it should be super tiny to the point where it's just like, I'm going to smile at my kid in the morning before I say anything else. Like something like that, something like super small. That's your Beinadam Lachavero. And your Beinadam Lamakom, you know, very appropriate at this time to do something with davening, but even that thing should be really, really small. And like we said, different women have different situations. Some people have time to daven, some people don't have time. Some people have time, but they don't have the skill or, you know, they just struggle with creating a, a habit. So I'll say, just say brachos, or even if that's too hard, really concentrate on moda'ani in the morning. Like even that is a very powerful thing to do. So you know yourself and, you know, you can do a little bit of like thought about what it is that you want to achieve and then pick something very small that expresses that wish in, in those areas. And that's, I don't know if that was helpful, if that's what you're looking for, but I think that that's, it's pretty good advice, you know, for this time of year, but it, it is really hard for women in L because like, we don't have that daily reminder. And so we have to remind ourselves. And we obviously don't have that daily reminder because we don't need that daily reminder. Right. Right. Um, and it, it does sound very practical and very doable when you put it in that sort of little bite size um, bite-sized pieces. I also, you know, th this is an idea that gives me a little bit of comfort because, um, I do feel like I struggle to connect sometimes, but I've heard Rabbi Akiva Tatz say that the reason that men have a lot of obligations, one of the examples he gives is with tefillin that men have to put on tefillin every day and women might feel inferior. Like, why don't I have to do that? Every, like, why do men get to have this mitzvah? And I don't. The answer he gives is because women are naturally more connected than men. So Hashem, who created us with our natures, gave men this obligation to go to Minyan three times a day and to put on tefillin, and they are obligated to do these mitzvahs because that's how they can ensure that they're connecting versus women who have this connection a little more inborn. So they don't necessarily need to go through those ABCDs every day in order to make that connection. So even though I do struggle to connect as well, and I know a lot of other women do too, depending on you know what stage in life they're in, it is also nice to know that we can tap into that like natural sort of connection that we have um, on a spiritual level as well. So that's something too. Yeah, 100%. And also a woman's power is relational. So we, we do have like words, generally speaking, are, you know, 
more of a feminine domain than they are a masculine domain. Generally, like you, you know, you ask like early education specialists and they'll talk about how girls are so much better at talking even at an early age. And women tend to just be very good at expressing themselves in a communication way. So tefillah really is our domain. I mean, if you think about it, really the person who invented tefillah as we say it today is Hana, right? The, the, the rubric that we follow was the one that she created, the, the formula for davening, like Hana, Himeda Baris Aliba, she had Kavana, she was thinking about her words, Raksavasa Naosh, her, her lips were speaking, right? Vikolo Yishimei, and you couldn't, um, you couldn't hear her voice. So she was like speaking quietly, audibly, but quietly, and she was pouring her heart out to God. And that is a feminine image. That is a feminine paradigm that everybody in the world really follows. So we're really at the forefront of being able to daven. And the men need that external structure. They also need social pressure, which women don't need as much. So some women like to go to shul and some women find that they daven better at home. And it's our prerogative really, because I don't know, I know for me sometimes, I mean, I do yamim noram, I like to go to shul, but I do find sometimes when I'm in shul that I'm very distracted and I'll be like davening. I'll be like, oh, those are nice shoes. I wonder where she got them. You know what I mean? So totally, totally relate. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, you know, we have the luxury of a certain amount of flexibility when it comes to davening, when it comes to time of day that we're davening, when it comes to how long we're davening. Um, and I think that we should take advantage of that. Like that's our strength. That's not a weakness. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I really appreciate like the ideas that you've given and also the practical tips, because I feel like one without the other is not enough. And, but when you put them together, it really completes the picture. So I love that, um, sort of model, um, before I let you go, and this is like another whole probably years worth of conversation. So um, I don't mean to put the pressure on you, but um, this past year and a half has been a bit of a doozy, like you referenced earlier. Um, I think the whole atmosphere in the world is just like, there's so much anxiety, there's so much pressure, there's so much discord there's just a lot like everyone can feel emotions are running very very high and unfortunately a lot of them are very negative emotions and then in addition to that we as the Jewish people have experienced so many tragedies this past year um and it affects us all collectively because even though we may not have known the people we all feel you know this connection as other Jews and what advice would you give to women going into Rosh Hashanah now, going into the new year? You know, last year, I remember davening, like, because we had experienced COVID from January. Um, and so last year, Rosh Hashanah time, I just remember thinking like, okay, it's a fresh start. Hopefully this year is going to be so much better. But unfortunately, objectively, at least it didn't feel that way. So now going into like another Rosh Hashanah, how can we sort of frame our minds to really make the most of this Rosh Hashanah and to sort of have a, a better feeling, a better attitude about it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this is where I'm tapping into your spiritual teachings and your role as a therapist. <laughs> so I would say it is true that it seems like this year has been particularly difficult. Um, but the reality is, is that we are in Gullus. And I mean, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as like, say 1945, do you know what I mean? And so I always think about that, like, you know, yes, there are tragedies and we don't understand what's going on. And 
you know, we don't understand why Hashem does what, she, what he does and why, you know, why people suffer and all these things that have happened. Um, but we need to reach out to Hashem and recognize the fact, like what exactly it is, what is it that we're davening for? Are we davening so that like bad things shouldn't happen? Are we davening because like we just want to be safe? Or are we davening because connecting with Hashem is the most sublime pleasure that there is? And the physical world is always going to be opaque to us with regards to how we understand it, how we perceive it, how we see cause and effect, reward and punishment. Like I said before, good people suffering, wicked people prospering. You know, our, our point in davening isn't to put money in the machine so that like treats come out. Right. That's not what we're doing when we dive into Hashem. We're doing it to Hashem to connect our neshamas to its source. And, and ultimately also with, certainly with regards to, I mean, I could say this more broadly with regards to tragedy. The Chavetz Chaim says very clearly in Shemir Salashon that tragedies happen because people speak Lashon Hara and because people don't show Avasi Yisrael. So if you really want to do something on a practical level, because you're right, like anytime I talk that practical is like very important. We want actionable steps. Like we want to feel like there's something that we could do when there's tragedy. So if somebody wants to do something practically, Shemir Salashon, Lashon Hara, things to promote obviously strong, whatever way, trying to being jealous about other people, like we said before, being happy for people simplest. Those are actionable steps with regards to personal tragedy. But taking a step back, like you said, what can we do to connect when it seems like things are so chaotic and seem so frightening and seem so scary is that recognizing that we are safe in the hands of Hashem, ultimately, even though we don't see it. And the more we connect to Hashem, the more we will feel that security and we will not be scared anymore. Right? The more we connect, the more we deepen our moon and bitachon, and the vicissitudes of life will not affect us as much. I think that relates back to what you said in the beginning of for your clients who have anxiety, you always recommend tefillah because ultimately that's connecting to a higher power. And it's sort of that idea of let go and let God, right? Yes. Like Hashem's got us, even if we don't necessarily like the outcome. If we have that faith, if we have that connection that Hashem is doing what's in our best interest, that sort of helps bring our anxiety down a little bit with that frame of mind. And, and like I said, when we started off with, with tefillah, Imuna is not easy. It's something that we have to work on. It's something that we have to grow in. It's something that we have to develop. It's something that we have to pay attention to in small ways and big ways and whatever it is, but the rewards are worth it. And really that is, like you said, it is the antidote ultimately to anxiety, a feeling that Hashem has our back, I guess. Wow. I love how it all relates together, right? Even though we talked about a few different topics, like it's all very much interconnected. And this idea also is sort of an update or a more mature version on what we might've been taught as kids, which is that, you know, ask for what you need. Like exactly like you said, you put in the quarter, you get the prize, right? Because I see myself doing this with my, my daughter too, who's seven, you know, like, let's ask Hashem or let's dive into Hashem that, you know, whatever it happens to be going on. And like, I sort of frame it and like, ask Hashem for what you need. But I realize that I have to also be framing it more of like, you know, in a way of connecting to Hashem, a way of thanking Hashem and things like that as well should all really be part of the picture you know, so that we develop a more complex relationship than just 
let's ask for what we get. And that's also a little, can be a little damaging because if you ask and ask and ask and you don't get, then you sort of lose face in Tvila and you're like, well, what do I keep davening for? So at least you know that there's another dimension to the reason we do it. Right. And it might help to talk to your daughter and say like, let's talk to Hashem or let's say thank you to Hashem instead of let's ask Hashem for this. I mean, you want to say that also because, you know, again, you want to have a broader picture, kind of like we were talking about before. And and we had talked about, let's say, some of the messages that we got in school. I, I really think that one of the problems with davening is that we've allowed the schools to take over the responsibility of teaching our children to daven instead of teaching our children ourselves. And it's hard to do because they go to school and they daven in school. So, you know, if you have a Shabbos morning, you know, that might be a time where you actually daven less because you want to spend some time like davening with your child. You might think like, this is my morning that I'm davening because I'm not going to work, right? But this might be something that you would you know, really teach your child a little bit more meaningfully how to daven, like with love and how giving them that broader picture. I mean, a, a child is going to learn how to daven from seeing their mother daven. You know, they see you take out your tehillim when you're sad and that's what they're going to, or when something tragic happens, or like you said, Ms. Marla Soto, when something good happens, right? That's what your child is going to learn. And that's how gonna, they're going to be able to have that broad perspective of davening by seeing you do it. We could tell our children to daven all we want, but ultimately when they see us doing something, that's how they learn to do that thing. Right. It's all about the modeling. Yeah. Wow. So, 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 so many awesome ideas and whether practical or more abstract, but it all comes together so beautifully. And I feel like you've really given us a lot of food for thought. Um, I really, really appreciate your insight on Tefila. I love these ideas. And I also love your actual podcast, which you delve into specific philos. Um, and you really go into the words and the meanings and, you know, like the name, a deeper conversation, you really delve into a lot of the depth of tefillah. And I have found that in the times that I'm able to dive in now, I can apply a lot of those thoughts and it really is enhancing my tefillah. So I highly recommend that everyone also have a listen to your podcast, Yochavet's podcast, which is called The Deeper Conversation. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful podcast, mostly about tefillah, like I said earlier, but also other topics of conversation. And it's very, very enjoyable to listen to. Um, so I really, really want to thank you for coming on and sharing all these beautiful messages with us. I truly hope that people who listen will have a more meaningful level, a more meaningful connection Um, And just sort of broaden some of these ideas that we've been growing up with that are due for a little upgrade. Um, And I really, really appreciate your time and your insight and your wisdom. So thank you so, so much. And I wish you, Ksiva Bechasinatova, and a good, meaningful, productive Elul and Rosh Hashanah and Tishrei. Thank you so much for having me. It was really, it was great for me to have this conversation because the things that I'm telling you and that I'm telling your audience, I'm also telling myself at the same time. So it strengthens me and it reminds me. And yeah, Mr. Hashem, hopefully we'll be in a really good place next year at this time. So. Amen. Amen. Let's be those. Amen. Thank you so, so much. Thank you.